Welcome to the Faith Element Podcast for July 17, 2022, focusing on Psalm 52, truth-telling. I'm Crystal Shepard. I'm Nikki Hardiman. I'm Bert Montgomery. And I'm Daniel Glaze. Well, you all survived last week with us. <laughs> so uh, Probably got, barely. Barely. You've got <laughs> one more to go. So buckle up and hold on tight. <laughs> <laughs> No, um, in all seriousness, though, um, we miss you, David, and I'm sure you and the listeners will be glad that you're back <laughs> next time. <laughs> um, so usually David has a little question to get us going, and so I have a question for you all since we're still in the 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 doldrums of summer. Um, what is your favorite part of summer, or do you have a favorite summer memory or tradition? Honeysuckles. Ooh. Oh. I love honeysuckles. They are memory and my favorite thing. Anytime I pass them, like I love the way they smell. I love picking them off and trying to get the little drop of nectar mm. out of it. I like showing my kids how to do it. I should say honeysuckles and lightning bugs. What do y'all call them? I call them lightning bugs. Lightning, lightning bugs. bugs. Okay. I, I call them lightning bugs. People up here would say fireflies probably. Okay. But yeah. So... The minute you said honeysuckle, I smelled it. I know. It's wow. so distinct. That was, that, oh. That's a good. So my, my one of my favorite memories is driving to grandmama's house, you know, from from Virginia to Alabama. And and that was fun. And we had we had a blast during the summers at, at her home uh, in South Alabama. But I it's interesting. I, I remember the landmarks of that really long drive because it was about if memory serves 13 hours 14 hours or so drive and i remember you know when you hit north carolina we would stop at stuckey's do y'all remember stuckey's? yes oh yes. man and then the next thing we would look for would be in gaffney south carolina the giant peach yes. which is the water tower yeah and then the i think it was the alabama welcome center would give you free soft drinks there inside yeah. <laughs> coming down 85, I guess it was. Um, I don't know if they still do that, but I, because there was no watching movies on tablets or anything, it was, it was bring a book or look out the window. Mm -hmm. And so yeah. those, we were just, eyes were peeled for those landmarks. So I, I remember <laughs> that's a long answer to the question. I remember landmarks on the drive to grandmama's house is <laughs> <laughs> a great summer it. tradition. I love it. Mm. Yeah, I, you know, and da Daniel, I'm the same way. We we took family vacations and would drive from New Orleans to Virginia one year, or, or the mountains in East Tennessee, which was the first time you know my dad had ever seen mountains, you know, and me too. But um, you know, and so just summer trips. One week we would just get in the car and go, and it, that that. Looking out the like you said, you're looking out the window or you're bored to death, and. Uh, you know, just seeing all those landmarks and this, I've loved watching for welcome to state, you know, welcome yeah. to Tennessee, welcome to Alabama. Yes. I'm stopping at the Stuckies. We stopped at Stuckies all the time. So I have a fond memory of Stuckies all along the interstate roads. <laughs> My favorite memories aren't really connected to road trips, but, um, but are more like what Nikki was talking about, like um, these memories of like, in my, I grew up in a small town of less than a thousand people. Um, so everybody knew everybody and my, like I lived up at the upper part of the street and my grandmother lived, um, down close to the Baptist church right down the street. And, um, there was only one road to cross and it was right by her house. 
Um, and so we would walk down at night and, or, you know, early afternoon and play with the pastor's kids and the kids next door, um, riding big wheels and exploring the Creek behind the church and all those fun things. And so I just remember a lot of time outside and um, being out until like, you know, said, don't come home until the um, streetlights come on kind of thing. Like we were, that's when we knew to go home. Um, so it was a beautiful time um, in the summer because it stayed light longer. And so we got to play even longer. Um, yes. It was a lot longer before the streetlights came on. So it was a good time. So whatever your memories are, um, I hope that um, you all that are listening in have had a chance to kind of walk down memory lane um, and think about your fun summer traditions. We're going to take a little bit of a turn though um, and, and go a different way um, and start discussing our scripture for the day. And Daniel, I believe you can get us started. I'll try. So Psalm 52 is an interesting one to read and study. Here we have a Psalm that seemingly pits the strong and mighty against the faithful and righteous. The psalmist declares almost with an arrogant nose in the air, but I am like a green olive tree in the house of God. I trust in the steadfast love of God forever and ever. That's rather intriguing, especially considering the previous Psalm 51 proclaims rather meekly, have mercy on me, O God, created me a clean heart and put a new and right spirit within me, a broken spirit and a contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. And just one psalm later, we read, God will break you down forever. What in the world? Well, let's take a closer look. Psalm 52 is initially directed toward, quote, the mighty one. Whether, whether this mighty one is a specific person or ruler or a generic term to refer to any and all evil persons, I'm not really sure. What is clear, however, is that the language here is harsh, direct, judgmental even. Verses 1 through 4 describe the actions of the evil mighty one against the righteous ones, and verses 6 and 7 describe the responses of the righteous in the midst of their abuse and maltreatment. The way the psalm is written, we immediately identify with the side of the righteous, don't we? As we're reading, we want to egg on the psalmist. That's right, you go get them. No mercy. The more I think about it, however, I'm not so sure that the line of delineation between the evil ones and the righteous ones is all that clear. See, as much as some Christians would lead you to believe they are experiencing persecution on the scale of the early church, don't believe it. It's not the mighty ones against the righteous ones, because what they call persecution may just be the loss of some privilege. No, far too often it's not so clear who are the mighty ones and who are the righteous ones. If we're honest, much of the time, I think we can be both. I'll never forget the time when, in my first church out of seminary, one of our former members was caught trying to sell magnetic shoe inserts to an elderly man dying of cancer. He claimed they would make him well. Sometimes the evil one is inside the church. The Sexual Abuse Task Force, recently commissioned by the Southern Baptist Convention, tells story after story of women, men, and children being abused by pastors and others in churches 
and the subsequent cover-up by those called to protect. Oh, we'd love to point at them and say, see, they're the evil ones. They're the problem. But just this week, I read a report of, a, of less conservative Baptist denominations and their progress or lack thereof regarding women in ministry. In my own denomination, churches that had women as pastors fell over the last six years. And notably, a full 25% of women ministers claimed they had been sexually harassed or even assaulted. Not out on the street, but in their place of ministry. Friends, the lines between evil and righteous ones are not nearly so clear after all. It's not the church against the world. And if we assume that this psalm was written by David, can he really assume the position of the righteous one? After all he's done? The lines are not so clear. So what to do? As we try to live faithful and righteous lives, where do we put our trust? Here, I believe the psalmist gets it right. We do not trust in riches or seek refuge in wealth. Whew, there's a word for today. No true security is found in trusting in the steadfast love of God forever. We are like a green olive tree in the house of God, the psalmist says. That is... We do not easily get knocked over. We don't grow for a season or two and then wither. Through careless neglect or even drought, we might struggle, but we will not easily die. Here, I think David is a model for us. My goodness, I've never said that sentence before. But David might be a model for us in this. In spite of all his sins, even, and since we are telling the truth, even sexual assault and murder, in spite of all his sins, David continues to point to God. He continues to look to God for strength, protection, and peace. In this psalm, we are called not to look to wealth or might or anything else in this world for security. Instead, we look to our Creator to provide for us the sustenance that renews our lives. And that's a little background on our text for today. Daniel, thank you. Thank you for that introduction. Thank you for telling the truth about uh, the studies and the reports that we have seen come out in the last few months across denominational lines and for telling the truth that the line is not so clear between the mighty and the righteous. Um, that very often those who seem the most righteous are the ones who are committing harm, are not protecting those in their spaces, in their spaces of worship and in their faith communities. I was not surprised by the report that came out in the SBC, and I was devastated when reading it. And in my own denomination, like you, 
and denominations that are very connected to um, my denomination. The story isn't a lot better. It just isn't. And the reality is that because those lines are so gray, because they are so blurry, the church isn't safe for everyone. It is not a safe place for every human. And your willingness to speak truth about that might help move the needle just a little bit. I think that the more that we tell the truth, the more that needle gets moved in the right direction. Yes, thanks, Daniel. You continue to be a pastoral male voice that amplifies what needs to be amplified. And as a person that has been abused sexually and and a person who has been abused in the church, I really appreciate what you have said today. I hope that these reports and when people like you speak out about this, and then when women speak out about this, that the church will start to listen and realize, like you said, that the line, the line is blurry between what is righteous and what is evil sometimes. I don't know why it shocks us so much that sometimes we who consider ourselves to be the righteous ones might not act in ways that are always so noble and just. I mean, doesn't the Bible teach that we're all human beings and that we are all sinful and that we sometimes think crooked things and do crooked things? And then you put us together in a group of a congregation or a group of people. What do we expect is going to happen? I mean, I, I'm not I'm not excusing anything, but should we be shocked that sometimes we fail? No. So what I guess what I'm getting at is sometimes we we act with such shock and and surprise that churches could do things like this when they're made up of human beings who do really awful things sometimes. But and this is the huge uh change here. I I think we in the church have a responsibility because we follow one who has given us explicit instructions about how we are to treat one another. I'm, I'm struggling with my words because I am not excusing any sort of bad behavior, but I, I, think, I think I need to cut all that out. I think I need to cut all that out. Daniel, I don't so, think I want you to. But, I th- can I try to help? Yeah, well, because I'm, I'm, I'm afraid I'm excusing bad behavior and, pl- and I do not want to do that. I, I know you don't. I wonder if where you're trying to go is, tell me if this is wrong, but are you trying to move toward a conversation about if you are in a faith community, sins against the vulnerable in your congregation are going to happen. And it is the responsibility of the congregation to not close their eyes to that. Yes. But to know that when that happens, one, to take every measure that we can to keep those things from happening, that is policy and training and vetting and all of those kinds of things. And also when it does happen, because we know it's going to, that we don't turn a blind eye but that we deal with it head on and that we don't let our discomfort with talking about sex 
keep us from protecting those who have been abused by those who would use it for harm. Mm-hmm. Yes. Is that where you're yes. trying to go? Yes, I think I think that's I think that's right. And I I was looking at it a little bit of through a theological lens. We we who espouse a theology of human sinfulness, not mm-hmm. necessarily depravity, but just of of being human beings and human sinfulness because we know that we have a responsibility for vigilance. Yes. And for proactive safeguards. Yes. And, and part part of that proaction is is clear lines of reporting, clear lines of accountability. Mm-hmm. And so every pastor yes. should say, if, if if anyone feels unsafe, you you have a direct access to me. And if I'm the reason you feel unsafe, you go to this person. Thank you. Right. Yes. That that that, that has to be that. Yes. I guess that that's what I'm trying to get that we have a responsibility to be proactive because we know what human beings are capable of. And and not not silencing and I think y'all have said this but not silencing the the victims right. and enabling the behavior to continue mm-hmm. by the perpetrator. Yes. Which is what we've done. I think a little bit of pushback from me is that I also think that we are called to be set apart. Mm, mm. And so if we are called to be set apart, then we need to strive to make sure that we are that and that we are not perpetrating harm against other people. And so I know that, yes, things will inevitably happen, but I think that if we can like have at least some kind of, there needs to be accountability and there needs to be a focus on this is what we are called to be as a Christian. I know that th- this name of Christian has been drug through the mud. And so if we can say, okay, this is what it means to be holy, because that's what it means. It means being set apart. It means not participating in those things that the world has out there. Yes, that's a that's a wonderful corrective lens. And I, I appreciate that. And I want to go back to my responsibility. It It gives us a responsibility to strive for that holy, to try to be on the right side of history and frankly on the right side of this line demarcating the the evil mighty abusive ones from those who are trying to uphold righteousness and do what God has called us to do and protect those whom God has called us to protect and that doesn't just happen you have to do it right if i can bring in a bit of a sociological imagination to this conversation i'm really focusing on Verses five and six, well, I guess verse five, especially because my wife and I have been binge watching Stranger Things from the beginning so we can get <laughs> caught up to season four so we can see what's going to happen next, what, July 1st, right? And this verse five just sounds like something if you've been watching season four, something that uh, Vecna would do, right? Snatch people <laughs> up and tear them out of the tent and uproot them from the land of the living and put them in the, what, um, upside down. Upside anyway. Down. Yeah. Yeah, so a Stranger Thing fanatics will get that. But God is not Vecna, <laughs> but yet that's what God's going to do according to this. Doing the sociological lens, a macros perspective, the things that we have discussed regarding our denominational settings, someone used the word shock. Why are we shocked? And a lot of people, and it has it's shaken the foundations of, mm-hmm. of churches and denominations, mm-hmm. um, but th- there's a flip side to that, and 
Krista would know this as a therapist, and, and any of us who've done pastoral counseling with people who refuse to ever set foot in a church building of any sort ever again will know, there's a whole population out there that are not shocked in the least bit. Yeah. And maybe a lot of us just have buried our head in the sand and refused to, we've been, uh, what's the word, repressing, denying, and denial about it, right? But this has not only happened in the church, this has been happening in our social institutions because of, of a patriarchal system um, that has built our culture for hundreds and hundreds of years. And so, you know, in the last decade, we've had the Me Too movement, uh, and that's been slowly like everything else in the world, it slowly gets a hold into the church as well. Uh, churches are very slow to change and accept criticism. But the Me Too movement has been coming into the church, and part of that is women being told, we want you to be ministers, just not in our church, right? Uh, yeah. So that's part, I mean, that's part of the, the denial right. of women um, as, as fully human and called by God. But then all the other things that go along with it, including women ministers on our staff being sexually harassed in the churches they are serving. Mm -hmm. So all of that stuff, as it's reckoning in, in entertainment, as it's reckoning in politics and government and businesses, is being reckoned in the church. And at the same time, we've been talking about for the last 25 years or so, this, this slow changing dynamic of what the church is. And maybe God is letting an old system of doing church die so that God can raise up a new church. And I think, you know, emergent church, all that kind of stuff. Well, all of this is tied together. And just as our systems of institutions are changing on the outside, our institutional religious life as the church, God is snatching us away, tearing us apart, tearing us out of our our tents, out of our buildings. Uh, uprooting us from what we have lived in for hundreds of years and considered home um, to be new again and to dismantle all of this evil that's not just been in the church, but has been all around us in the entire culture, including the culture of the church. And I get sociological, so I'm going to shut up and back up. I find myself wanting to go back to David. Cassidy or the psalmist? <laughs> 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 no, the psalmist, the psalmist. So we we do, we have this person, David King. He is simultaneously, we read that we know the story of him and Bathsheba when he, he uses his power to bring her into his home um, and have his way with her. And then he kills her husband when she gets pregnant or places him at least in the path of being killed. Um, we, we call that murder. And, and then even when his daughter is raped by his son, um, he doesn't handle that well at all. Um, he does not seek justice um, for Tamar. So we, we have that part of David, and we have David who in faith with no armor killed Goliath. We have David who is remembered as the greatest king of Israel, the United Kingdom. And we have David who has the moniker, a man after God's own heart. 
And as someone in the 21st century reading this, I have to wrestle with that. I, I, am, a, I am a woman in the 21st century whose entire adult life, higher education and career is committed to studying, sharing, and theologizing about scripture and doing ministry in the name of that scripture, in the name of God, based on the scripture that I read. And so I really have to wrestle with David. In Old Testament, it's David. In the New Testament, it's at Paul. But today we're with David. <laughs> and, and they're both complicated people. And on one hand, it reminds me that God can and does use anyone, regardless of past, regardless of sin, God can use anyone. I also know that the people who put this scripture together had particular worldviews. And David is remembered after as a man after God's own heart for the one fact that David never worshiped any other God. When David messed up, he went to God and said, I'm sorry, make me clean, help me. When, when David won a battle, David gave praise to God. When anything good happened, the praise was to God. When anything bad happened, the question, the, the prayer was God help. And so I, while I wrestle, that's my own confession. Um, I think Daniel was right. There is something to be learned from Daniel, uh, from David. Daniel, David, they're all getting mixed up, but David's the scripture one. Daniel's the one on the podcast. Y'all can keep it straight, even if I can't. But there is something to be learned from David in that when I mess up, I got to go to God. Because we're talking about these reports that have come out and these horrific things that have happened to people in the church. But the reality is I mess up all the time. And like, I yell at my kids and I have to go tell them I'm sorry. And I have to go say, God, help me figure out how to not yell at my kids the next time. Right. We all have mixed bags within us. I'm just real glad mine wasn't written about in scripture. Mm. <laughs> so um, this whole conversation has made me think of something that I want to close with. It's the words of St. Kesha. Nice. Yes. Yes. Who endured sexual abuse from a person in power. Yes. And had mental health struggles as a result. Yes. And is still standing. Mm -hmm. Kind of like the strong green olive tree. Mm. Yeah. And she speaks this song to her abuser. And I think her words have something for us in the church. So listen to the words of Kesha. I hope you're somewhere praying. I hope your soul is changing. I hope you find your peace falling on your knees praying. Sometimes I pray for you at night. Someday maybe you'll see the light. Some say in life you're going to get what you give, but some things only God can forgive. I hope you're somewhere praying. I hope your soul is changing. 
I hope you find your peace falling on your knees, praying. May we pray prayers asking for forgiveness where needed. May we make changes, allow the pruning and the uprooting all while trusting in the steadfast love of God and the direction of God's Spirit. Thank you all for this good and challenging conversation. Thank you. Thank you. Subscribe to the Faith Element Podcast on iTunes or Google Play. Learn more about our Faith Element Bible Study curriculum at faithelement.net. Faith Element is a service of Faith Lab.